Morning, everyone. Welcome to Restoration. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you all uh, this morning for worship. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Dan had one clarification he wanted me to offer. Uh, so when, we're, when we go to one service on May 29th, that's going to then continue through the whole summer. Right? So next week's normal, starting May 29th, just through the summer because we know so many people are traveling, so many people are in and out of town. Uh, we'll do one service uh, through the summer so just be aware of that. Um, this morning you'll hear my voice. I have a little bit of a head cold. I've tested twice for COVID. It is negative, so no, no fears. It is just a head cold that I'm getting over. But just so you bear with me if I have to take some sips of water, if you hear a little bit of congestion, fortunately I'm at the end of it. Um, again, it's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, we have been in First and Second Samuel for quite a while now. We continue that this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 9, which is actually one of the shorter chapters in the book. It's only about 13 verses, so I'm going to read all of it for us this morning. You can find it on page 260 of the Pew Bible. As you turn there and as I read it for us this morning, I want you to think about this question. How are the promises of God real in your life right now? Now, I don't just mean which of them do you sort of, do you believe or do you give verbal assent to? I mean, how are you actually experiencing some of the promises of God in your day-to-day life right now? Do they matter? Are they real for you? Reflect on that question as I read chapter 9, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later. Let me start in verse 1. And David said... Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's, Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, 
for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. So when we left David in chapter 8, what Dan preached for us uh, last week, uh, last week, yeah, last week, he'd won several military victories. He'd begin to appoint officials over his new kingdom. This was all part of David firmly establishing the kingdom and his rule over right? There'd been all this debate for years and years, who the true king was, who should follow who. Now David is firmly in place as the new king. This was common practice in the ancient Near East. Defeat your enemies, elevate your own people to leadership positions. And so when we come to chapter 9, verse 1, we encounter something expected, but also unexpected. Now it's expected because summoning the the relatives of the previous regime would have been very common in the ancient Near East for a king to do. What was unexpected was that you would be summoning those relatives to kill them, right? Any king in the ancient Near East, when he takes over, a new regime comes to power, he finds the relatives of the other regime and he kills them in order to secure the throne to his own name. He doesn't want any potential usurpers. Kings eliminate other other claims to the throne. But here we see a shockingly different approach by David. If you remember all the way back in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, David had made a covenant with Saul's son, David's best friend, Jonathan. And in that covenant, David had promised to Jonathan not to kill his descendants when he eventually became the king. In fact, when, when it says here that David wants to show kindness to one of Saul's descendants, that word in the Hebrew is hesed, which actually means covenant kindness, covenant love. And so the reader of this is supposed to immediately think back to the covenant of David and Jonathan. We talk a lot about covenant here. You heard Dan talk about it when we did the baptism and the membership vows earlier. Covenant's one of the most significant words in the Bible. At the most basic level, it's a promise between two parties. In this instance, it's between David and Jonathan But that covenant between them is rooted in the covenant that God has made with his people, the promise that God has made with his people. We see over and over again in the Bible that God makes a covenant with his people and his motivation for that is his love. God's love for his people, his love for us, comes to fruition in the idea of covenant. And so David, as the king of Israel, as the covenant representative of God's people, believes that covenant is incredibly significant. You can imagine how easy it would have been for David when it comes years and years later to honor his covenant to Jonathan, who's now dead, to maybe forget about that promise, right? For the sake of security for the kingdom, 
you know, I know I made this promise, but actually what's more expedient, what's safer, what's wiser, what the world says is to forget about that promise. But fortunately for us, David is a man after God's own heart. And so David honors his covenant with Jonathan. And he does that by going to look for any remaining descendant of Jonathan to whom he can show covenant kindness, covenant love. And so a former servant of Saul, Ziba, comes and tells David that there is a son of Jonathan that's still alive named Mephibosheth. And he's crippled in both feet. Now, we've met Mephibosheth before. You may or may not remember it. We kind of skipped through that section very quickly. We met him in 2 Samuel chapter 4. All we know about him is that he had a nurse. And when Jonathan and Saul, when the news came that they had died, out of fear, she ran and dropped Mephibosheth, which is how he became crippled in both feet. So David finds out about him. He has him brought to him. Mephibosheth arrives and we're told in verse 6 that he immediately falls on his face and pays homage to David. Now, we don't have any reason to believe that Mephibosheth knew about the covenant between his father and David, which means he knows the way the ancient Near East works. He knows that if the king is summoning him, he's probably going to die. Now, he doesn't have much choice. He's crippled. He's probably been deprived of many of the resources he previously had. And so he, he likely thinks that his only chance of survival is to obey when David calls him, to throw himself down at David's feet, to pay homage, and hope to maybe be spared. Which is why David says, don't fear. Because David has other plans. Because David's a man after God's own heart. As the king, David is supposed to represent God's heart to the people. And so, as God's people, as we read this story, we're supposed to see in David's treatment of Mephibosheth, God's treatment of us. That's why we asked at the beginning how you're experiencing God's promises in your day-to-day life. Because just like Mephibosheth, what we often expect from God is very different than what we actually receive from God. Mephibosheth comes before David expecting punishment, at very best expecting reluctant mercy. And I think that's the way that many of us come to God. Think about those moments when you're aware of the ways in which you're crippled. Maybe physically, Maybe just aware of your own sin and your own brokenness. Think about those moments when you're really, really aware of your sin and brokenness. How do you come to God? How do you approach God? I think for me in those moments, I come with fear. 
I come with shame about who I am, about my identity. I believe that despite what I know to be true theologically, God's eventually going to get tired of me sinning, right? Eventually, I'm going to have to pay for it. Eventually, my sin's going to come back around and it's going to get me. You ever feel like that? Even when I'm at my most theological and I know all of the right answers about Jesus forgiving me, I think, well, God kind of has to accept me because of Jesus, right? He doesn't really want to, but he's sort of forced to by Jesus. Jesus makes him accept me. And so what I believe deep in my heart is that God is actually reluctant to forgive. God's actually reluctant to be merciful towards me. And so I find myself like Mephibosheth. I find myself coming to God in my sin and my brokenness, expecting punishment or at the very least, reluctant mercy from God. Maybe you're like that too. And if you are, then I want us to see this morning that this is not God's heart. David illustrates that for us in this story. What does Mephibosheth actually get from David? Well, he gets kindness, he gets restoration, and he gets sonship. We're going to talk about each of those things very briefly. We've already kind of mentioned kindness earlier, but I want to reemphasize that this is covenant kindness. This is covenant love that motivates David to go and find Mephibosheth, to go pursue Mephibosheth. This covenant with Jonathan overflows into kindness and love. So if the example of David is supposed to point us to God's heart, then the natural question is, is that how you experience God's pursuit of you? Is your experience of God pursuing you kindness and love, covenant faithfulness? Because what's true is that because of Jesus, God's heart is never reluctant. It is never reluctant mercy. It is never reluctant love and forgiveness. It is overflowing in kindness towards you. What would your day-to-day life be like if you really believed that God's constant heart towards you was kindness? How much easier would it be for you to pursue holiness, pursue obeying God's commands? If you knew that God wasn't watching over your shoulder waiting to punish you, but he was watching and waiting to hold his arms out to you, to receive you, to lift you up, to bless you. It was David's covenant kindness overflowing to Mephibosheth that changes his story. And so it's God's overflowing covenant kindness to each one of us that can change our stories. How does it do that? Well, it does it through restoration and sonship. Look back at verses 7 and 11. 
In verse 7, it says that God restores to, or excuse me, David restores to Mephibosheth all the land that belonged to Saul. And then down in verse 11, it says that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. David's covenant kindness toward Mephibosheth isn't simply sparing him from death. It isn't simply reluctant mercy. It's an overflow of love that produces restoration and sonship. Think how extreme those two things are in Mephibosheth's life. He was born as the son of kings. He was destined for health and prominence and wealth. But because of the destructive actions of his family, all of those blessings have been lost. He's lost any potential land and wealth that he might have inherited. We mentioned earlier he was crippled when his nurse ran and her, after she heard the news of Saul and Jonathan, so he's lost his physical health. He's lost his father. He's an orphan. He's now socially rejected because of both his family circumstances and his physical circumstances. And then he comes to David and has to be expecting to die. So you go from that extreme to what he actually receives. David restores all of Saul's property to him. Remember, Saul was the king of Israel. This is not an insignificant amount of wealth and property. He gives him Ziba and his 15 sons and his 20 servants to farm that property, to provide food for him. Imagine how life-changing that is for a cripple in that society. As a human king, David can't fix Mephibosheth's physical ailment. But everything that he is capable of restoring, he does. In fact, he goes as far as to invite Mephibosheth to eat at his own table. And so Mephibosheth receives sonship. The text says he eats at the king's table like one of the king's sons. That's not hyperbolic language. Mephibosheth, the orphan, comes to David as the son of no one. And he leaves eating like one of the king's sons. That's what God promises to you and I. To you and I. Right? Isn't that amazing? Because of God's covenant love for us, he sent Jesus. And because of Jesus, you and I are adopted into his family as sons and daughters of God. We're now welcome to eat at the king's table. All of the blessings of restoration, all of the blessings of sonship belong to you. Do you live with that kind of confidence? Do you live with that kind of assurance? The assurance that you're a son or daughter of God. Well, if you're like me, you struggle with that. Because we still live in a world that's broken by sin. Jesus began the process of restoration, but that process isn't complete yet. And so we still sin. We're still sinned against. 
And so like Mephibosheth's crippled feet, some of our suffering is still present in this world and it will be until Jesus returns. But it's the hope of our new identity that helps us persevere in the midst of that suffering. God gives us pieces of restoration for the journey. So it becomes vitally important for us to remember and to reflect on those pieces of restoration as we go. Just like the Israelites would reflect on the Exodus over and over and over again. They would recount it. They would tell the story to their children over and over again. They would hear and tell that story in the same way we recount the covenant kindness of God in our own lives. So where have you seen God bring restoration into your life? What relationships have been restored? What sin has been defeated? What blessings have you received from God? Those are the reminders that God's given to help carry you through the suffering. The reminders that God has promised to finish the work of restoration one day. One day we will gather together as brothers and sisters with our Father and eat at his table. Completely restored. But until that day, we have small reminders. Reminders like the baptism we witnessed this morning. Reminders like the fellowship of this church. Reminders like this table that we're about to come to. And so as we do that, reflect on the promises of God. Reflect on his kindness overflowing to you. Reflect on the restoration that he's promised to fulfill one day and gives you glimpses of now. Reflect on being a son and daughter of God. And let's come to the table together. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to this table uh, we do pray that we would remember the death and resurrection of your son, the covenant that you've made with us, the promises that are certain in our life. That these would not just be theological uh, points that we remember, but they would be real heartfelt experiences that we would feel and live out your kindness, that we would see it lived out amongst us even in this small gathering of brothers and sisters at this small table here this morning.